Welcome to The Wine Beat. I'm your host, Craig. What we do at The Wine Beat is we travel and we discover the great wine regions and the great wines of the world, but we often go well off the beaten track to bring them to you. We want to find space for the lesser-known wine regions and wine varieties to get some airtime. Today's episode and the following mini-series of four podcasts about the Loire Valley fits our mission very well. Everyone has heard of the Loire Valley, everybody knows a little bit about the Loire Valley wines, but at the same time it just seems to be a wine region with humility. No brash bragging, no gaudy modern labels, no real excessive marketing, and no excesses in the pricing either. Why this is, I don't know. The valley has, after all, had this long tradition of the escape for the French royalty as the holiday location for the elite from Paris. It's a very well-known, very well-established region with tons of wine history. Nevertheless, it's a little below the radar screen in some ways. In this episode, we are in the Muscadet region in the far west of the Loire. We're visiting with Pierre-Henri Gadet. He is young and deliberate. He's hyper-focused on quality and keeping his winemaking as natural and non-interventionist as possible. He's working in this wet maritime climate. We're actually very close to the Atlantic Ocean when we're in, um, in Muscadet and particularly here in Sèvres, Maine. And what I hope comes across in this podcast is Pierre-Henri's dedication to terroir, among other things. He works obsessively with vineyard-specific expressions from the varied slopes and aspects of his vineyards. Like the Loire region generally, Pierre-Henri is soft-spoken but confident, and he's dedicated to building on the region's history, on the legacy of the winemakers who have come before him, including his father and grandfather, and in bringing out what is best in the Muscadet wine region and in Sèvres Maine. Aside from the visit in the cellar and the recording of this podcast, we did an extensive walk around Domaine de la Combe, and Pierre-Henri's passion for his project is intense. Pierre-Henri explained to me the differences in the expression of the wines from each of the plots in, based on their aspect and their slope and their orientation. His passion for his project is intense. He's a bit of a rock star in the making. He's becoming a bit of a celebrity in French wine circles, and he's getting extensive, uh, extensive attention in the press. So he's a guy to watch. I hope you enjoy the episode. There's a lot to be learned about Muscadet and, uh, and winemaking generally. Here we go with our podcast with Pierre-Henri Gadet of Gadet Père et Fils and his other project, Domaine de Lacombe. I'm here with Pierre-Henri Gadet of Gadet Père et Fils in Saint-Fiacre. Uh, we're in the Sèvres et Maine region of, uh, of the Muscadet wine-producing region. Uh, Pierre-Henri also has an estate of his own that he calls uh, Domaine de la Combe, uh, so he's going to tell us about that. But Pierre-Henri, thank you very much for joining me on The Wine Beat. Thank you. Uh, yes, we are an old family in Saint-Fiac, so to start, Saint-Fiac is a, is a village which is the only one located between the two rivers of the Sèvres et Maine, because those are two rivers um, meeting in Saint-Fiac. So Saint-Fiac is a kind of peninsula between those two rivers and um, with time the erosion uh, of the soil has formed um, some of the steepest slopes uh, of the Muscadet area. Muscadet area is basically flat but not really in Saint-Fiac. And uh, those two rivers, those two valleys offer us um, multiple exposure 
with different uh, kind of soil uh, such as uh, gneiss, orthogneiss and schist mostly. Um, for our families, uh, the story starts five generations ago. Um, we were basically uh, at the very beginning a, a family of gardeners and um, the father of my great-grandfather was also making some polyculture on the side so everyone has had uh, at that time uh, everything so they were gardeners on the day but also making some chickens some vines of course and everything just to to eat like growing vegetables then my great-grandfather decided to uh, focus on the winemaking side um, he was one of the first to bottle his wine on his own because everyone were producing grapes, fruits to deliver to big um, winery, big negociants. To, to make cooperatives? A, were there cooperatives uh, at that time? Or? Kind of, we call it negociants, they just negociants. Buy, buy the wines from everywhere right. to make white table wine. But your great-grandfather decided to bottle under his own. Yes, he, he wanted to have uh, his own uh, clients and uh, sell everything in bottles. So that was in 1954, uh, and he, were, he, he was uh, the one who started to export uh, in the US uh, at first as a producer. That was in 1959. Um, exporting in Muscadet at that time was very, very small, and still today only probably 30% of uh, the production is exported uh, for us. It's historic exportation, so today we, we export about 80%. Oh, really? Of, you our, yes. Of the Gadet Pere Fils uh, wines? Uh, of the two wineries. Of both wineries? Yes. In Canada, in uh, the US, in Sweden. We are in uh, 25 different countries. That's a very high proportion of exports. Oh, yes. Very good. We are the, probably the only one who exports that much. Um, so, yeah, back to... To the story of the domain uh, so my my great-grandfather were was developing that and working with his two sons which are my now my grandfather and, uh, and my great uncle and uh, we have increased with time we have increased the amount of vines uh, because we we have had uh, some uh, good opportunities to take over some high quality terroirs with different exposure different kind of soil so today we have also some vines in uh, the village of uh, La Foissière, which is north of the Sèvre, um, that offer uh, a southern exposure on uh, autognized kind of soil. And also we have uh, 10 hectares um, in a Vertu on a granite and amphibolite uh, kind of soil with a northern exposure. This permit to have um, freshness in warm vintages and also a good complexity in the wines. Um, and in 2016, we had that opportunity in the village to take over uh, a second domain. So from winery, one winery to another, we are about uh, only a mile away, half a mile away. And uh, that new domain, uh, Domaine de la Combe, uh, represents nine hectares of vines in one block. In the little village of La Petière, mostly, so it's a combe. So we have a plate of autognice, a southern exposure slope of gneiss, and a northern exposure the slope of schist. 
uh, and I started to, to to convert the vineyard in organic. So um, the goal for me as a project was to to have real organic vineyards. So no, not uh, three row of vines organically farmed between two chemicals vineyards, which make no sense because there is a lot of contamination, but one block of nine hectares permit to have a real organic wines. So Domaine uh, Gadet Père et Fils is the, is the estate that we're sitting in mm -hmm. today. We're sitting in the winery. Um, we're sitting in the tasting room and uh, that's the estate that your father and you run together. Yes. And how many hectares in? It's about 67. About 67 he hectares. So something approaching 200 acres, I guess, for something like that for, for, uh, yeah. for people who work in acres. Um, but the estate that you're talking about, Domaine de la Combe, is an estate that you bought in 2016. 2016, so relatively recently. And that's the estate that you are paying your special attention to as your own uh, yes, so I'm the general manager of that domain, uh, so I take the decision. Uh, so I just, when we bought that domain, I changed uh, the name, the labels, uh, everything, and I, and before coming back uh, in Saint Fiacre, which was in 2016, I I have done um, some wine making experience working in other countries such as uh, Switzerland in a biodynamic uh, vineyard, um, Australia, um, and all those work experience uh, permit uh, me to, to bring back a lot of new techniques of winemaking and also viticulture uh, that I'm um, kind of experimenting, that I'm doing in that new wine, uh, new domain. And that makes uh, different wines. First, because uh, the terroir, of course, but also uh, the winemaking techniques are different than my uh, the ones that my father's does. Uh, also, the winery is different. The vats are different. The, the vats that I use in Domaine de la Combe, uh, de la Combe are traditional, so they are entirely under the soil, uh, subterranean. It's a those are concrete tanks with a uh, glass tile covered that permits a good temperature control naturally um, and also that permit to work with gravity avoiding uh, the use of pump and also uh, that permit to decrease uh, the amount of sulfites I, that I use. So that's interesting you've got subterranean concrete tanks uh, that you do your fermentation your vinification in um, but you mentioned glass tiles. What uh, explain that part to me? So it's a tile made of glass, like a window. It's a and that's in the interior of the concrete yes. tank. This is what is in uh, contact with the wine, so to permit to to clean it easily uh, because it's a very um, very smooth surface. Uh, yes, very smooth. Is, is that a traditional style of yes? This is traditional. Um, here, the soil doesn't permit to have a underground uh, cave like in Burgundy, like in a uh, in because it's in because there's so much moisture. No, because the soil is um, is not hard. It, it, it breaks easily, so uh, you cannot 
you cannot um, you cannot build a cave. Yes, you cannot build a cave. So uh, to to make a temperature control um, unification with no technology, they used to to build the, the vat in the soil. Uh, now I understand. Yeah, now I understand. Mm. That's interesting. Mm. But you're only using that that technique at Domaine de Macron. Yes. Here we are in Atgade Perifis. We have a 100% uh, stainless steel vat, uh, which is very good, um, very easy to use. It's a real comfort. And also, uh, the inside is polished, so that avoids the use of chemicals to remove tartaric. Um, it's very good to to use. I like it. Can we um, can we back up a little bit and talk about the region and uh, Muscadet wines? Because there's something very particular, very special about this place and the wines that are produced here. They're, mm. they're wines that are basically only produced in this region uh, in the style that they are. And there's a there's a there's a lot has uh, has happened in terms of the way that Muscadet wines are made. Um, but I th so I, tell us about the uh, the the region generally uh, and and uh, and the grape. Mm -hmm. So we Muscadet is uh, on the western part of uh, the Loire Valley. This is the most western wine region of the Loire Valley. Um, we are about an hour away from the coast, so we get a lot of influence from the Atlantic Ocean that regulates the temperature, but. Um, also provide a lot of wind sometimes uh, that help us in the vineyard and um, and yes yeah, the, the, the soil is from a uh, very little mountains uh, from Brittany called the Massif Armorican so we have basically a kind of granite kind of soil um, the wine region uh, exists since long long time ago but um, we have bring the, the grape Melon de Bourgogne which is very unique um, we have bring it uh, in the 17th century early 17th century in 1616 this is what the archives shows uh, and that grapes come originally from Burgundy that so was the grape which was used before uh, before Chardonnay in Burgundy Right. So the monks, the Cistercian monks, uh, bring it in the region and tried it on our terroir. And uh, they discovered that uh, the wine was uh, very elegant and uh, with a lot of finesse. We have totally different kind of soils than in Burgundy, and um, it provides more freshness here than there. And uh, we kept that uh, that grape. And uh, we started to have the AOC, and in then in Burgundy they changed uh, they moved to the Chardonnay. Right. So you call it uh, the the grape variety is called Melon de Bourgogne, Bourgogne, yes. um, but often just called Muscadet. And yes, Muscadet, because um, it's mostly grown only in that region. So Muscadet is really the region, but often people will talk about Muscadet grapes. But yes, the real name is mm. Melon de Bourgogne. Mm. Um, and uh, this grape has, um, I want to say that because a lot of people make that confusion, um, this grape has nothing similar with Muscat. Um, a lot of people tell me I don't like Muscadet because it's sweet, but 
it's totally dry. I, th I think, <laughs> yeah, I think that is a, a, a common confusion. Yes. But, uh, well, let's, let's, so let's talk about the character of Muscadet wines. I mean, what does it taste like? So Muscadet uh, has different expression on granite kind of soil. You can have some mint notes, uh, like aromatic herbs on the gneiss or to gneiss. You can have more um, like white fruits, uh, like pears, uh, yes, white fruits, uh, flavors. And on the granite, uh, no, not the granite, the, the schist, uh, you have more um, like lemon, citrus flavors um, plus we we use uh, here uh, a very um, specific and very unique um, way of aging the wine which is a uh, what we call uh, the surly i'm gonna i'm gonna interrupt you just for a second so be, um, because it's <coughs> it's useful for us to differentiate muscat from muscadet and to really get the sense of what muscadet is like it's very crisp and very fresh wine, right? It's very yes, bright yes. wine, very dry. Mm. Uh, famously, goes very well with the oysters from the region. So it goes well with seafood and yes, oysters, but not only. <laughs> A lot of people uh, drink muscadet <laughs> only when they eat oysters. So uh, they associate it too closely with oysters. Yes, yeah, so seafood in general, you can have with um, you can have muscadet with uh, salad. You can have muscadet with. Um, with Japanese food, Thai food, uh, it's very good with um, okay. Asian food in general. Uh, we don't want to, we don't want to pigeonhole or stereotype the wine too too much. It's very flexible, but it's very fresh and very bright, very crisp, and um, and uh, and and has that characteristic, which which is which is really nice and very much uh, very much in vogue now, very popular now in the market. But uh, but the, it's very dry. Um, but you were starting to talk about when I interrupted you. You were talking, starting to talk about the surly aging, yes. which which is pretty fascinating because it changes the character of the wine. Yes, so surly aging is a, a kind of um, aging which is very local, very unique. Um, so it basically means that we we don't touch the wine during the aging. Um, more precisely, uh, so the fermentation happen, um, transforming sugar into alcohol. When the um, when no sugar is left, so the, the yeast have nothing to to transform. They have no activity, so they fall at the bottom of the bat, forming a natural deposit. In other region, at that time, we will pump the wine to separate that those yeast that deposit. And to, to separate it with uh, the clear wine. To rack off the yes, clear wine from, the, from yes. the yeast lees. Yeah. In our region, we don't separate those, that deposit uh, with the clear wine because that will give, um, that will provide some CO2 still. So, Muscadet um, Surly has some perlon, what we call a little bit of um, CO2, which is totally natural. And uh, that will also... Um, okay, so you might notice a little bit of spritz in the yes. wine from the CO2? Yes, a little bit of spritz. And uh, also that provides uh, some toasty notes. Um, and that will bring some uh, some fatness naturally to the wine. And so surely the real regulation, real classification, 
so you can not bottle your wine uh, before six seven months of aging surely so it's more about the date it's we, we cannot bottle the wine uh, before march 1st for the sugary classification so that means we harvest uh, in september fermentation will happen in september and that will age for the entire winter in the the vats on the the surely deposit and this is in the stainless steel or stainless steel and every vat you want uh it can be in oak also if you want oh, okay um it can be in every vat every type type of vat uh, but those would give different expressions if it was uh, if it was aged in stainless steel or if it was aged in oak or yes, some other. Yes. Yes. Um, so it, it spends the entire winter on the lees, and uh, on March first we are allowed to bottle the wine. And say it's a surely on the label. So there is a minimum of aging, and also there is a maximum um, for the survey classification. I know it's complicated to understand, but uh, it's uh, a French rule. <laughs> it's, it's common in France. There's yeah, a lot it's of common in France. We like things <laughs> like that. So, um, so minimum is bottling on March first, and maximum is bottling on thirty first of December. So that makes it about 14 months on the, the lease, of aging on the lease. That's the maximum. That's the maximum. Over that, you you lose the surly classification, and that will be a Muscat de Sevrenen. Okay. So it just goes under the general name, Sevrenen. Yes, general name. Um, I, I mean, I've noticed from drinking Muscat de wines that, surely, that um, you have all that crispness and, and, and bright uh, acidic nature and the dryness of the wines, but uh, the Sur Lee gives it, as you call it, fatness. Yes. And it's really interesting because you have this very bright wine and then uh, but it's rounded out and then uh, on the palate it's it's soft and quite full, right? There's a there's a fullness to the to the wines. Yes, uh, it depends to, to the terroir. Uh, some of them are more on the finesse. Some of them have, are more, um, yes, are more full more um, complex and also it's interesting because uh, Muscadet surely it's a, a wine that we usually drink uh, young but it can age very well uh, if it's well made and kept in good condition it can age up to 20 years really yes it's a real um, it has a real uh, aging potential to the wine does uh, that, that, uh, that acidity will preserve the, the the quality of the wine right it's uh, like a preservative for the wine right so does the Gadet wine does your winery keep uh, a library of old wines uh yes but only for our own consumption <laughs> <laughs> but you're finding that those older wines drink well oh yes if it's kept in good conditions interesting yes nice nice um so surly aging uh, on on the lees on the yeast lees uh, do you use batonnage, the use stirring of the lees during the storage? Yes, uh, we we try. In Gade, we, we don't do it because um, it's complicated in um, a aerial tank because you have to pump and anyway you will not pump all the, the lees. Also, um, in Domaine de la Combe, as it's subterranean, I can, um, with a, a tool, it's like a... A pole with a, a, a board on, like a paddle, kind of yes. Okay. That will 
per, permit to to move the wine and uh, bring the lid on the top without using a without using a pump. Uh, also, batonnage is good and not so good. It depends. We like to do the batonnage um, with the feeling. You know, we we go, we taste the wine, and if we feel that there is a little bit of uh, a little reduction, uh, we will do a batonnage. If we we feel that there is not um, enough uh, fatness, uh, we will use it. If, if there is too much CO2, you, we will do a batonnage again. Uh, we, ha we have no rule about that. It's uh, more about the feeling and uh, knowing where we go. Um, it's interesting to work with that, but um, I'm really against uh, people who do batonnage uh, two per week or one per week. It's too much. For me, it's... Uh, Maximum one every two week, every two weeks, and you do it as you see is necessary. If the wine yes, is not yes, I will do it probably three or four times during the winter. That will, yes, less than one per month. But that's fascinating because it means that you can, you can dial in. You can uh, you can use the amount of batonnage that you think is appropriate to get exact to to get the types of characteristics you. Yes, you it depends on what, what you want to make, but. Uh, mm -hmm. It's very good to to work uh, with because uh, you can literally change the wine you make. If you do don't do any batonnage, uh, we will have maybe more finesse. Um, and if you do too much, that will be too fat. It's it depends what you want to make, and that you can correct some little defect such as the reduction for example which is uh, nothing it's not a real defect but uh, can correct that you can adjust it yes um i, I want to go and talk about uh, your own uh, project domain de la home but is there anything else we should talk about about uh, about Sevres maine the region or muscadet the 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 the, the region and the and well the we can variety. say there is a uh, three region of muscadet okay so Muscadet is composed by uh, the Sèvres-Main, of course, uh, which is um, the main uh, region of production. Then you have uh, on the south of Nantes, uh, because we are in the southeast, east, southeast, on the south of Nantes, there is um, the Côte de Grandlieu, which is a more sandy soil, uh, and it's a small proportion of Muscadet production in general. Uh, not a lot of producers. It's uh, closer by the coast. Gives and a different type of a uh, different expression of the wine, different different characteristics. Uh, yes, it's maybe um, less fresh. What I consider less mineral, probably a little bit more fat. It's a different expression, and also you have a, a smaller one, <laughs> which is um, Coteau de Loire which is more close by Anceny, a little town. Uh, so you, which is located between uh, Nantes and Angers, literally. So it's uh, really on the, the bank of the Loire and uh, very few producers make wine there, make Muscadet there. Sèvres Maine is the, is by far the largest uh, oh, yes. uh, production area. Oh yes. And that's the that's the wine that you would typically find internationally. Yes. Yes. Uh, 
Okay, that's a, a fantastic overview of the region and the wine varieties. Terrific. And Domaine de la Combe, that's your project uh, since 2016. Uh, you mentioned it's uh, you're focusing on organic yes. uh, agriculture. Uh, tell us how that's tell us how it's going, and, and it, does it give a different expression of the wine with the techniques you're using? Well, um, it's it's making organic wine is uh, really not easy. Uh, it was a, a real challenge for me. So f I tried in 2016 uh, right away to, to make it organic. Um, the problem is uh, I have crossed at 25% in that first year. I had make some and make some spray or organic spray at, at that time, and I, I could not. Uh, continue uh, as an organic because uh, when you produce organic you lose about 30% of the production right plus the 25 I, I had lost at that time and that was too much for me aside from the frost let me ask this question because we are in a wet area right so yes the vines here are going to be more prone to disease so does that mean working with organic treatments uh, it's harder to control the, the types of molds mildews the diseases you have or, or oh yes so um so here, so so first we, we can talk about the, the frost because we, we have frost this year. Uh, the influence of the organ the Atlantic Ocean uh, bring um, bring us some warm some warm temperature early in the season. So the danger is when the the vines start to grow too early and you have some some frost going on. So um, the the bud break the, the bud break will happen early, and uh, if that frost, it will take time for the vines to recover. But anyway, that bud, that principal bud that contains the fruit, is killed by the by frost. The so that will grow after, but that will be only leaf, or maybe you will have one or two grapes if you are lucky in the vine. Um, so that's the first problem. And this year we have frost again. Uh, we have frost in the on the last four years. We have frost three times. Oh my God! So um, sixteen in two thousand sixteen, I have lost twenty five percent. Two thousand seventeen, forty percent. This year, probably fifteen percent only. And we are in an area we we are not we are happy with with what we have because uh, Muscada frost at sixty percent in general. Wow. Uh, so here we are um, privileged with the situation we have. S so there is a frost, the problem of frost, which um, doesn't matter if you are organic or not. Also, um, our grape, Melon de Bourgogne, um, which is a very good grape to make good expression terroir, um, is hard to, to protect against the mildew. Um, because with the warm uh, weather, with uh, the, rain we, the rain we have, uh, it's almost like in British Columbia, the rain here, <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So all this weather is um, appropriate to, to get some mildew. So we have to be very careful um, with the rain we have and make sure um, our vineyard is always protected. Except that we are lucky, we have no other, not really other disease such as oidium. Uh, we have, we can have some, some rot sometimes if if it's too wet during the, 
the others, so we, we remove the leaf in front of the grapes to, to make sure that uh, we don't get that. Um, it's a lot of work in the vineyard. Do the winds from the ocean, do they help? It can help, but uh, also um, can bring it, can, it can bother if you you have to spray, because if you spray and you have the wind, your copper, sulfur, that are the main two products that you use to protect your vineyard and organic, um, you can spray and uh, the product flow away yeah. Yeah. with the wind. So sometimes you have to spray during the night uh, because there is no wind. And also we have the, in the influence of the sea level. I don't know that word in a... Tide. The tide, tide, yes. So that moves a lot of air and that makes wind. Uh, okay, mm. interesting. So, um, yes, I, as I was saying, I tried in 2016 and 2017 to, to make, uh, to start my conversion to organic, but I could not. And uh, in 2018, I, uh, I started officially uh, my conversion to organic. It doesn't change anything in, um, in the winery because I, I try to touch as less as I can the wine. I consider that it's the best for the quality. So I use no sulfites under the press, for example. I do one first pumping for the first tracking to remove the, the, the first deposit before the fermentation. I ferment everything with uh, the wild yeast. Okay. And uh, I will add the sulfite, some sulfite at the end of the fermentation, but a, an amount of sulfite which is uh, very small but efficient, um, and I, I will add it at one, mm -hmm. at once. So that permits to have uh, one third of uh, of the sulfates used uh, in a conventional wine, conventional winemaking. So minimal intervention in the winemaking after organic. Farming. Yes, but it's not a matter of being organic or not. Just uh, my philosophy of making the, the wine, from what I have learned from other experience, and uh, I know. Uh, Less you pump the wine, better it is because uh, you bring uh, less oxygen in the wine. You combine more, uh, less um, sulfite, so the, your wine is uh, more protective. I have only three pumping from the reception of the grapes to the bottling. Wow! Mm. So even on the pumping, you're minimally. Ah uh, yes, yes. And uh, using the, the yeast of the vineyard is essential for me. Um, you, it's a lot of intention because uh, if you have a bad yeast, you it can be a problem. It never happened to me. Uh, you need to do a, a settling uh, when you receive the juice. You need to do a, a settling, do a settling of forty eight hours um, under CO two to protect against the oxidation because I don't use sulfites. Um, that permits the deposit to fall naturally at the bottom of the vat, and that permits also to keep the yeast that will make the fermentation after. So are you find, would you find that um, if you use natural yeast versus commercial yeast, um, there's more potential challenge in the fermentation because of the... Uh, potential that the fermentation will not complete, that it will get stuck, or because of the development of yeasts that you don't want, yeasts that give, uh, you know, off flavors or that kind of thing. Uh, 
what 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 do you see the biggest challenge with using natural, the naturally existing yeast in the in the winery? Well, when you use commercial yeast, you you know what you you are using. You know the results, and so it makes uh, the same every year, the, the same flavors. So I I don't understand because you cannot pretend to make a terroir wine using commercial yeast and. Uh, because the wine, uh, if it has the same taste every year. There is no vintage impact, no terroir impact. Uh, there is no sense to me. So I, I really wanted to use only wild natural yeast <coughs> to make my wine. Um, so you you don't know what you will have every year, but if your vat is clean. Um, if your grapes are not rotten, um, you know, you have to, to work a lot in the vineyard before to have the best fruits. And there is no reason that you have bad yeast on on um, good good fruits. Um, bad yeast can be, can come with a rot or um, if that is not clean enough or something bad happen you know uh, if it's not clean somewhere to but grapes yeah. or the vat or the press or the pump so you have to be very careful and uh, see um, and, and to observe a lot um, another thing is to, to make sure that the, the fermentation is complete I, I try to have low alcohol wine so I my goal is not to absolutely have a 12% of alcohol wine. Uh, of course, it happened naturally, but uh, more you have uh, so, so alcohol for yeast is a uh, is a uh, uh, I don't know the word. Sorry, it, it's, it's uh, toxic. Alcohol it's is toxic. Toxic, toxic to, the yeast. to to the yeast. Yeah, because they reject it. So uh, more you have alcohol, uh, more the the fermentation will be hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I make some wine which is only 11% uh, of alcohol, some others that are 11.7, 11.8, uh, and I have no problem. Uh, it takes more time. You decrease the temperature of the fermentation less than the conventional yeast. Um, it's a different way to work, but it works. But at, at Domaine de Lacombe, you're not controlling the temperature at all? It's uh, I do, because if you don't, uh, so yeast produce alcohol, CO2, and also some uh, warmth. And uh, if your, your wine is fermenting hot. hot, it will not develop good flavors. But can you control the temperature when the, the, the fermentation is in those underground tanks? Yes, but not enough. So I have uh, an equipment uh, to cool the, okay, the wine. Okay, that's interesting. To cool the wine. Uh, it's it is essential to, to control the temperature. Okay, gotcha. Uh, fascinating. Uh, and you've worked in biodynamics as well in the past, as in your experience. Yes. Uh, so any desire to go biodynamic? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, would, no, 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 no. Would, no. would you like to go biodynamic? Is that something that attracts you, or you, or it's not that? I have nothing wrong. Uh, I, I have nothing against the biodynamic, but it's it's too much work. Uh, <laughs> honestly, 
it's very interesting but you you need to be strong in your in your head to to keep going with biodynamic because uh, it can be a catastrophic uh, harvest it can be a, a catastrophic amount of grapes um, and also I, I don't know how to 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 do the biodynamic yeah. I try to every time I can I try to use the moon uh, to spray to rack the wine to to bottle to filter to I mean for, for me it's uh, logical to, to do that it's not uh, because you are conventional or organic that you don't use the moon and here in Gade uh, we we uh, used to we use the moon uh, faces to, to decide uh, operation on the vineyard every time we can on the vineyard and in the winery um, and also we try in Gade also we try to use as sulfites as we can uh, you know it's just logical when you try to, to make the best one you, you, you want so um, in terms of the wines that are coming from Domaine de la Combe and the expression there are you finding the expression is uh, different than the wines coming from the Gade yes winery? so Gade is maybe more traditional uh, because they have bring new techniques I would say uh, that makes the wine not that typical for for the area it's um, maybe more ripe it's maybe riper fuller and less uh, CO2 and I have no idea why my level of CO2 is lower than uh, in Gade uh, and I I bet it is uh, the wine making that makes a difference so yeah it's more more riper maybe fuller uh, also with the organic uh, the the yield is uh, is lower so I have less grape but maybe more concentrated and that that makes a good uh, concentration of flavors it's fascinating your approach right you're letting the vineyard and the uh, grapes and the technique uh, of, of winemaking with minimal intervention, you're letting it speak for itself. So the kind of wine that is coming from Domaine de la Combe is the kind of wine that would come from that area with those techniques. Mm. Uh, and the wine that's coming from the Gadet winery is gonna have its own characteristics. Yes, also the vineyard of Gadet is uh, spread in uh, the three different uh, um, villages, such as uh, La Foissière, Vertou and Saint-Fiac. We have about a uh, hundred different plots, so it makes uh, it, it will never make the, the same wine. Uh, terroir is totally different, uh, exposure different also. Uh, and you, I should have asked this: Do you make uh, vineyard specific wines for each of those uh, vineyards, or are they blended? So for Gade, we have uh, yes, we have terroir plot selection. Uh, I would say. Uh, for Domaine de la Combe, uh, kind of, but um, that will come with time. Uh, I'm developing some new cuvee, uh, we, which are on, under aging in a large volume oak barrel. Uh, and the wine is not released yet, that will come soon, at the end of the year, uh, because the wine is not ready. And uh, I'm focusing, yes, on a plot selection. Uh, you know, I have studied in Burgundy and uh, the plot selection there is uh, a plot can be an appellation you know so uh, every plot has in 
its own uh, terroir, its own uh, characteristic, and it's interesting to make the, that wine separate to see the result. Sometimes it's not on its own. On its own, it's not very good. It can be not really good, and it needs another wine to complete it. And sometimes it's just uh, perfect. Pierre Henri, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for thank the conversation. It's really interesting and it's a fascinating region with wonderful wines. Uh, it's not as well known as it should be. Muscadet is, uh, is fantastic stuff and mm. uh, you're making terrific wines. So thank you. Thank you. It's good talking to you. Bye. Bye. All right. Thanks for coming along to Sevres and Maine today with me. The introductory music that you heard is typical music in the Celtic tradition of this part of Brittany. It was recorded in the city of Nantes at a festival that was going on while I was there, so I took the opportunity to record it on the spot in the city square. The band is called Les Copains d'Armor. Uh, check out the show notes for more on the band. Speaking of music, did you notice the bottling line, the sound, the tinkling of the bottling line in part of the, uh, part of the episode, particularly when Pierre-Henri was speaking? His father was working in the cellar just behind the tasting room, so that's why we have that little bit of extra musical accompaniment whenever Pierre-Henri is speaking. When the microphone was directed towards him, we could hear the bottling line. And that's it for today. Please visit the website to see more about Pierre-Henri Gadet and his striking winemaking, uh, www.thewinebeat.com. You'll find links to his website and pictures and uh, lots of information on the making of his wines. Tune in for the rest of our road trip through the Loire in the upcoming three episodes in this mini-series. They'll be loaded very soon. And here's Jim Wilson to close us out with our theme music. Until the next time, I'm Craig. So long. You can talk about your whiskey. You can talk about your beer. You look